Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. We are learning today, putting Seder into the Seder, and it's a hectic week ahead. There's lots of things to do for those who are preparing Pesach here, for those going away. One has to make up a lot of work ahead of time to, in order to be able to take off time. So there's obviously a lot on our minds this week, but one of the things that should be on the forefront of our minds is trying to appreciate our Seder before we get there. So let's try to put some ideas, let's try to get some ideas onto the hopper so that we can digest them, distill them, and appreciate them hopefully as we get into our Seder. I want to start off by thanking Michelle and Abe Zerika who are sponsoring today's shir, the Ilinishmas Penina Perel Bas Rav Yaakov HaKohen. That is, um, uh, that is Michelle's mother, whose yard site is actually today, Boy by Yom itself, Mitzvah Shem Rebetzin, Rosenblum, R- Rosenblum. Um, it should be alias neshama for her and for the entire mishpacha should be a, a zuchus in her merits. Um, we also are as, um, learning today Le'ilu Nishmas, Mr. Julius Sands, Yehuda Ben Meir, whose yard side is the 10th of Nisan, um, for Karen and Michael, uh, on Karen and Michael Rosenblum, um, on Karen's mother's yard side, Tammy, Tammy, um, Tammy Freeman's mother's, uh, father's yard side as well. Um, and we continue, this is the third third yard site now, just just before Pesach, always a, always a, a time where we think about this, and Mr. Shem should be a tremendous alias neshama for, for him. We also are learning today, we thank um, Elliot and Shandy Horowitz, who are sponsoring in the yard site, in the, for the yard site, two Elliot's foremost Torah mentors, and one of them is Moran Nacham and Leibowitz on the 5th of Nissan, and Rav Aaron Kreiser um, on the 12th of Nissan, two formidable teachers, and it's beautiful to see that the, the legacy continues. And in your honor, we have, we're going to be learning some of Dr. Lebowitz's Torah, God willing, as well, um, for, for today. So let's start, let's start at the very beginning. There's so many ideas, there's so many different ways of looking at things, perhaps some perspectives that are all fresh, new, and um, un- undiscovered so far. So the first thing is, is that we get to the first cup, and everybody says, make sure to lean. We're all trying to lean on the left side, and those people who are directionally challenged to have, um, at this point in time, have an issue. We're always focusing on the left. Okay, great. So we're we're starting we're starting to uh, we're starting to lean. Why are we leaning exactly? It's one of the more obscure minhagim of the seder. Not such an easy idea to understand. Let's try to understand what is what's going on over here. This year we are fortunate enough that there's a new haggadah which has come out. There are many new haggadahs, but this one is is Mesora Sarav Rav Soloveitchik's haggadah um, uh, um, has come out in Hebrew. It's actually a very beautiful draw from a lot of his works. So both halachic and Philosophical pulls it all together, paragraphs on the various aspects that I got up. Very fascinating. So here's what he says. He, he presents two ideas, but actually three, because I realized just this morning I saw a third one, and I wanted to add in Rav Soloveitchik's idea. Here's what he says. He says in, in the first source, he says, Ha'eved, a person who is a slave, chai is always in a state of fear. Why? Not just somebody who's more powerful than them, or mimisha some chusay alav, or you do some you dependent on. However, pocheh listor mishu acher lahargiz afilu adam zar. When you're a servant, you walk in the ro- in the street. You're worried about anybody. You don't want to, you know, tee off anybody. You're concerned. You're always in a state of, of we'll call it, lack of comfort. Ha'pachad asui liyot beli mutstak. It can even be not justified. You bump into somebody. You feel like you're to blame for it. It stops you from living. He says, this is the reason That's why we lean. When you're leaning, it's like you're free. Why? Because 
It shows you that you're completely at ease. You're at least having a sense of relaxation. You're not always in tension. I know, you know, I just wanted to mention, there was a number of years ago that Naftali Bennett, he needs a little chizuk this week. So um, he put out an advert a few, a few years ago, and it was, he dressed up, he had a beard on, and he, was go, and he was walking around, you know, he was driving down a small alleyway, and a big SUV comes along and knocks off his mirror, and he gets out the car, and he, he says, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Like the other, he's the victim, right? He's apologizing to the victimizer. And then, and then he is walking down, he's walking along the way, and somebody knocks over his tray of food, and he gets up and he says, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And all these people looking at him so, so weirdly. And at the end, he, 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 he turns to the audience and he says, Stop apologizing for being Israel. Stop apologizing to all the people who are shooting rockets at us. Stop apologizing to all the people who are trying to create terror in our country. You look like an idiot if you're trying to apologize for being the victim. That was his, that was his, his point. But when you're always in a sense of an evid mentality, all you do is, you know, you, you, somebody bumps you, you apologize for being bumped. So we, we're stopping to apologize. We're, we're leaning. We're, we're at ease. It's all right. It's all right. That's the Seder. That's the number, idea number one. Idea number two, Rav Soloveitchik digs it further. He says, Shenit, second, Ha-Sebam Samelet et Ha-Shlachat, throwing off of, take these, to, to see if you can understand these words. Ha-Izikim Ha-Mentaliyim. What are these? Mental handcuffs. You are removing your mental handcuffs on this evening. Ha-Monim in Adam et Chofesh which which allow you, or, or actually prevent you, from experiencing freedom of movement. When you are leaning, what you are doing is you're demonstrating a, in a certain sense, rebellion against having to listen to somebody else. <coughs> when soldiers on roll, roll call, it shows that they are dedicated to listening. I was once talking to a Marine, who was in the, in the U.S. Army, and she was describing on roll call that they would stand, and they were down south in the middle of the summer, and they'd be on roll call, and they'd be there, and the commander would wait for them, would, would have them standing absolutely, absolutely statuesque still, and she would be watching the person in front of her, and there would be mosquitoes eating them in, in the roll call, through their shirts, like welts being on, the, on their back, and they couldn't move. She would have a mosquito biting her cheek, but she couldn't move because when you're on roll call, you ain't moving. It's absolute discipline. Says Rosolovechek, her saber means to say that discipline, that sense of awe, that sense of fear is disappearing. I'm not listening to somebody anymore. I'm not, there's nobody else telling me where I stand, why I'm standing, and the fact that I'm not able to move. I mean, that's what he just finished. I don't want to listen to, to orders anymore. I'm no longer listening to human authority. It means to say lack of listening. And that's why he quotes the Gemorim Pesachim, which says that let's say you have the situation where you have a student at the, the Seder of their Rebbe. That student is not obligated to, to lean. Why? Because they are still, in a certain sense, in an aura of listening or fear of their Rebbe. So therefore, they're not really fully at ease. They're not able to really just relax. Therefore, the, the Hesaba is not expected in such a person. Very fascinating, very fascinating idea. Very, very powerful. 
I happened to be doing a little bit of Chazorah this morning, and I noticed the next paragraph, so I couldn't help but, but to share it with you. I did not put it over here, in here. But uh, he, the Rav Soloveitcher quotes, quotes a beautiful, beautiful idea. He says that the Midrash Mechilta says, the beginning of Parshas Beshalach, it says, Hashem took the nation around. Well, how did you say, translate the word Vayasev? Right, a circuitous route. He took them around, Derech Yamsuf, and this is when they couldn't take them through Eretz Plishtim, Kikaravu, the whole business. Great. Now, it says, it says the Medrash Mechilta, that's the reason why we do Heseba on Pesach, because it's the same word, right? Vayasev means it took them around. So that's the reason why we do Heseba, where we lean. Well, you know, it happens to be, yes, you know, <laughs> the three-letter root is the same. You know, that's, that's definitely the starting point. But it doesn't seem to go much further than that. Right, the directions, their GPS in the desert has nothing to do, seemingly, with what, they're do, what, what, we're, what we're doing at the Seder. So Soloveitchik says, no, absolutely, it has exactly the same thing to do. See, what happens is, is that the, the halacha is, that I feel Yisrael, that even a, a person who is destitute, destitute, completely poor, is required to re, uh, lean at the Seder. So this is, you know, like, supposed to act like a king, a free, free agent. Really? The rest of the year, it's, it's from... It's from hand to mouth. It's from meal to meal. It's uh, from mortgage to carlies. And now you're supposed to feel like this, this king. You're supposed to feel suddenly like you're the, the king of the world. How do you get that? <coughs> so w- sometimes we have to go bo- back and look to the origins of that word of Esebo, of Vayasev. And Vayasev is that the Jews were coming out and they were walking in the desert. And it didn't look like they knew where they were going. And in fact, it looked so much like they didn't know where they were going that Pharaoh himself thought the same thing. And that's why he sent his armies out. Because he said, look at this good-for-nothing people, these slave dogs. They don't even know where they're going. I let them out. What a mistake. And off he gets onto his chariots. And that becomes, ne- becomes the episode of the next seven days, which is throughout the course of Pesach. Sometimes it doesn't look like we're, we know where we're going. Sometimes it looks like the destination is unknown. It doesn't look like we have a specific plot or plan. And Akash Baruch Hu says, don't worry. Even when you're doing circuitous routes in the desert, there's a Rebbe Shalalam. Even sometimes when you're doing circuitous ro- routes in life, we look like perhaps we don't know where we're going and it doesn't look like this year is adding up and perhaps the destination isn't as clear. Remember, it was Elohim who was leading us then. It was Hashem who was leading us. Let's remember that as we're doing the Haseba, that there's still a direction to sometimes the meanderings and the wanderings which don't look like they're ending up somewhere. So it is a very, very powerful third idea. So three ideas over here which Rosalvechik has developed into Haseba. One is, is that that at ease, we're not apologizing to anybody. Number two is that we are at ease with movement. We're no longer answerable to human command. And number three is, is that we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is leading us, even though sometimes it doesn't look like we have a direction. Three, three beautiful, beautiful ideas into our saver. Let's, let's uh, delve further. So in, in, in honor of Dr. Nachamu Leibowitz, whose Yorosai we just passed, and in honor of those people who, are, who had the opportunity of learning directly from her, one of, the, one of the greats of the last generation of, uh, of Parashanot, of understanding the, the, the Torah. We're going to go in a very different direction now. So we, these are more philosophical, psychological ideas. Now we're going into Parashanot, which always li- yields beautiful ideas in terms of Mahshava. But let's start at the beginning. She notices a very fascinating thing. We start at the beginning of Parashas Va'era. And Va'era is essentially the answer to a couple of questions that Moshe Rabbeinu asks. Moshe Rabbeinu is sent to Pharaoh. He goes to Pharaoh. He tells, let my people go to serve me. And uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh increases the workload, d- d- uh, diminishes the supplies, and everything's going bad. So Moshe Rabbeinu asks, why did you send me? You made it bad for these people. One of the answers at the very end of Parshas Shmos, and the main answer is the beginning of Parshas Va'era. Let's take a quick look at the answer over here. And she points out that if you notice, you will see that there was what's called a chiastic structure. 
That means to say that there is a reflected, there is a reflected structure like a, like a butterfly pattern. So let's take a quick look at this. I, I, what I try to do is I try to put it into the psukim where we have the ABCDs and the DCBAs, just to appreciate this. Once we have the structure, we can get a sense of what's really being, what's being taught to us over here. So the first thing we're told is, He says, I am Hashem. So the first part of this pattern is, A is, I am God. Number one. Number two is, Number two is, is that I have a contract with your forefathers and your foremothers, right? There's a, there's, the, I, the, we, we started this long ago. Part two of the pattern. Part three of the pattern, C. Not only did I make a contract with them as your, as your, as your patriarchs, but I also made sure I made a contract that you have a, your relationship with, not them, but... The land. So first of all, I am Hashem. There's a relationship with your forefathers. And number three is that you have a land contract. And now, part number four is, And I've now heard their cries. That's part four. A, B, C, D. Okay? Let's try to see if all those four ideas reflected in reverse order in just a moment. So let's start in Pasuk, in the middle of Pasuk Zion. The middle of Pasuk Zion says, the last line, I'm Hashem, who's going to take you out of the out of the suffering of Egypt. That's the reflection of hearing the suffering. D. Then that's returned to the land. That's C. And then I'm going to give it to you because your forefathers. That is B. And Ani Hashem again closing the same idea as I'm Hashem. So same reflected pattern. Right? We meaning to say A, B, C, D. D-C-B-A. That's, the, that's what she points out. You see the chiastic structure here. Fascinating. Okay. So now, what does that do for us? That's, that's fascinating. What does that do for us? So first of all, the chiasm t- teaches us a number of things. Teaches us, first of all, is what's the focal point is the hinge. Where's the hinge? The hinge is between the emergence of the patterns. What's in the middle of this pattern is... So we have what we call the four Lashonas of Geula, for which we have four cups of the Seder, are the center of the pattern, which makes a lot of sense, meaning they are the focal point of the promises of the past and the dedications of the future. Right? She starts off, Hashem starts off by describing all the things Hashem promised in the past, and now he moves to the expectations of the future, and in the middle is what's happening now is four things, and they are fantastic, and that's the, the middle of the, of the pattern. That seems to be the focal point of the answer. Brilliant. Now, let's take it one step further. If that's true, that now leaves us with one extra factor in the middle, in the middle of this answer. By the way, you notice that the middle is also winged off with Ani Hashem's. The beginning of Pasuk Vav is Ani Hashem. The middle of Pasuk Zayin is Ani Hashem Elokeichem. Again, sort of each of the wings of this pattern are having Ani Hashem at the beginning and the end. And in the center sort of uh, is the, is the four Lashonas Ogula. However, there's an extra piece. And that is at the end of the Arba Lashonas Ogula, the four sections of redemption, it says, Vidatem ki Ani Hashem Elokeichem. You should know that I am Hashem your God. Now, that's not one of the four cups, right? We have Hashem saves us, Hashem rede- t- t- takes, t- takes us out, uh, He saves us, he, re- he redeems us, and He takes us to be a nation. But the Vyadatem Kina Hashem seems to be our responsibility. We need to know that Hashem is our God. How does that fit into anything? Why is that part of the, part of the, of the whole bundle? That seems to be a little bit of an extra piece, right? It means that if we just stopped there with what Hashem is doing for us, we'd be fine. Why is there Vyadatem Kina Hashem? You need to know that I'm Hashem. 
That's that. That's her question. So the first thing she does is with her, with her incredible encyclopedic knowledge of basically everything to do with, <laughs> with, with, with everything. She's, uh, she references the Orachim HaKadosh. And the Orachim HaKadosh asks a basic question. He says, this whole business is not true. This promise was in fact not true. Why so? Because the, the, when, when in the second wing Hashem says, I will bring you to the land, did that really happen? Truth be told? No. With the exception of Yeshua and Kalev, there was no one of this generation who entered the land of Israel. So here is Hashem giving a promise that everybody's going to enter into the land of Israel, and it didn't happen. What happened with that? How do we deal with that? This, is a, this, this promise did never, never came into effect, says the Racham HaKadosh. Oh, we've got to read it very carefully, shouldn't we? So here's what he says. Take a look at the top of the next page. In, on page 4, he says, We're actually not in the first paragraph, the second paragraph, which is about halfway through on the right-hand side. On the left, it's in English. Before Hashem says, I'm going to bring you to the land, He says, you should know I'm Hashem. That is the prerequisite. That's the condition, knowing Hashem. What does that mean? Without knowing Hashem, You don't know me? You want to say, well, let's send a reconnaissance mission. We're going to work it out. Are we going to say they're too strong for us? Hashem says, well, good luck. Enjoy the desert. Because why? In the end of the day, I only said Vevesi when you know me. Therefore, why do we have the extra phrase in this pattern? Oh, you should know I'm Hashem, because that's the prerequisite for, for Vevesi. Failing to, do, to reach that, goodbye. And that's what happens. It says, Orach HaMekodesh. So HaKodesh Baruch Hu has now avoided the pitfall of, of rebellion. However, says Dr. Nechama Lewitz, she says, no, that's not the way it works. Because if you'll notice, the Datem Kiyane Hashem falls in the center of the pattern. It is not part of the wing. Remember, the wings are A, B, C, D, then D, C, B, A, right? Vervesi is part of the wing. It's not connected to Vyadatem Kiyane Hashem in the pattern. The center of the pattern is bracketed off by Ani Hashem and Ani Hashem on either side. Vyadatem Kiyane Hashem, I, knowing that I am Hashem, your God, is not part of that. Therefore, the Orachim is con- connecting it to its following Pasuk. She says it's not, it's connected to the previous Pasuk. How so? So what she argues is the following. Very basic idea, and that is... Is that, let's take a quick look at her words herself. She, she actually she ref- references the Mishnah Perke Avos, where it says by that Rebekah talks about Chaviv Adam Shenivra B'Tselem, great are human beings who know they created Hashem's image. Chiba Yaseira no Da'as Lahem. Even better if you realize that you're created by God. You don't walk around dressed or acting as if you are simply a primate. Right? I mean, you say you are greater if you realize that you are great. That's what the, the Mishnah is saying. So she's, this is her comment. And we'll do the English for a moment. We have both the English and the Hebrew on the left side. The greatness of the blessing then did not lie in the fact that the man was created in the image of God, but in the fact that, the, that this notion of likeness to God was firmly fixed in man's consciousness. It's not just enough to be godly. It's enough, you have to know you're godly. Here too, the greatest of the blessings have been up till now, as stated above, and I will take you to be my people and I shall be your God. But this taking would not be enough unless the people were actually aware of having take, been taken by God. Consequently, there comes the even more vital promise of, then you will know I am the Lord your God. 
The phrase your God, establishing the plural possessive, second person relationship, is here employed for the first time. It is the central preliminary to the opening declaration of the Godhead, of the Godhead on Sinai, with the significant difference that there, that there the call is more intimate and immediate, not to the people, to the, to the community as a whole, but to the individual. So what she says is, he says, it's all very nice that Hashem took you out, He saved you, redeemed you, He even married you, so to speak. He brings you to Har Sinai. But that's not enough unless you know that. Unless you know that. You're missing something. It could be your chosen people, but you're wandering around as if you're not the chosen people. You're missing something. There's a, there's a story about a, a, a father who's walking through the woods with his son, and they come across a log across the path. And the father, say, and the, and the father says, you know, Sonny, can you, can you remove the log? The son says, do you think I can do it? He says, if you use all your strength, there's no question in my mind you could do it. So the, so the boy, he's a little eight-year-old, starts heaving, huffing and puffing and moving, and nothing's moving. This, this log is way too heavy for him. He looks to his father, father nods at him, and says, if you use all your strength, you're good. And the boy tries again and again and again, and after four attempts, the boy looks very disappointedly at his father, who obviously has very high expectations of him, and he cannot move it. So the father says, I said, if you use all your strength, one of your strengths is asking me. If we do it together, we can move it. To use all your strength, all your strength. But if you don't know he's your father, if you just think that he's there for, you know, for, you know, conveniences, then that's not all your strength. This night is about not just recognizing that there were four cups, but knowing that he was there. He was the one who did it all for us. That's the relationship. That's the, that's the pivotal point of this evening. That's what Nacham um, um, points out. Very, very beautiful idea. Very, very powerful idea. And of course, it's around, this is only a, a fraction of the essay. This is, there's a it's much longer essay with many, many more Mepharshim. But nonetheless, just a, a, one of the salient points that she, she focuses upon in Vaira in section one. Let's move into four, four sons, four stages. I thought this was remarkable. Remarkable. So we talk about the four sons. Is the, Seder, is the Baal Haggadah being judgmental? Absolutely not. Uh, here, here's one of the questions we can ask. This is just an a, a article that I, I teach in a school, and um, I, I'm involved in professional development with the faculty. It's really, really a, a great course. I, I have the opportunity of interacting with some of the really greatest educators uh, around. And um, so, so one, of my, one of my colleagues, Ricky German, sent me a, an email about an article which was written in, positive, in Psychology Today a few years ago. And it's really a remarkable insight. And that is, is that if you think about the four sons, the funny thing is, is, is the whole business of the Russia, right? You know, like, you know, at least put him at the end, <laughs> you know. Okay, we have him at the center and everything. You know, put him at the end, you know, stack him later in the deck. Why is he suddenly second? So the article argues the following. And that is, is that actually, if we think about them as one person and developmental stages of the human being, perhaps it's a different perspective. Let's start at the back and move our way upwards. So we talk about a, a child. The child's born, and the child's born in a stage of the child is, you know, is, is really just sort of like sort of sitting there absorbing reality. And suddenly after a little while you start seeing that they start saying words and you realize they were actually listening to you the whole time. And they were, actually, they were listening to the way you talk, sometimes the, one, the way that you wished you hadn't talked um, <coughs> as, as, they, as they respond to you. At the point they really don't have a, a grasp on reality. And at a certain point they become tum. They, they're sort of like this naive wonder of the world. Everything is incredible. I have a 22-month-old. 20, who, who is just, you know, every time a car uh, drives by, is enthralled by the car so much that he, he falls over in the excitement that a car is driven down the road. You know, there's this sort of uh, this enchantment with the world, this tum, uh, uh, being able to see everything, fresh lights, everything's a question, everything's a wonder. Why this, why that? And that continues for a while. 
And ultimately, the, the, the stage of development leads to lead to the Chacham, where a person has a, an ability to be able to discern what's important, to be able to appreciate, to ask sophisticated questions. But there's an interleading stage, and that is called Russia. That's what's so fascinating about the, the stage of Russia, is those are the years where people go through challenges, right? They move from their stage of wonder and enchantment to the world, and before they get to a stage of discernment, they go through a stage of puberty, they go through the teen years, and in that stage of teen years, they ask lots of questions, some very difficult questions, some questions just for the sake of asking or challenging. Very difficult times. But the article argues, and this is such a powerful idea, is, that, is, is, is the following. Take a look at the, on, on page 9. He says, The path from the time to the Chacham, from the simple to the more mature faith, passes through the Russia. The Russia is a form of differentiation. He is the son, the character in the play, who differentiates from the path of sincere faith by asking, in essence, I'm not part of this. I require myself to assess whether this is for me or not. Differentiation is a well-known process in human development, common in teams, but important for adults as well. It's the edge that keeps us, uh, helps us to mature. In spiritual development, differentiation is the critical component to a faith embraced freely and not just by habit or necessity. To get to become the Chacham, you need to become the Rasha first. That is a remarkable statement. We need to challenge things to be able to appreciate them in their full essence. The, the, the reason the Rosh is the state is because we're all there. You know, I, I know I skipped 10 you know, but everybody else. <laughs> it was a tough time. It's a tough time, but that's a necessary, a necessary part of getting to be who we are. And as he said in the microcosm as well, it's a stage of reversal of appreciation who, of who we are. It's a really, really a beautiful, a beautiful statement. I want to just add actually one dimension to this. And Oh, so that, that's a, that, that, there, there is something bad about there is something bad about all the questions, but it's a natural part or component necessary to get there. That's, by the way, why the Rosh and the Chacham are not opposites, right? If you think about it, it's not Rosh and Tzadik, right? It's, this is a very wise person, but this is a stage of rebellion in order to be able to get to the stage of Chachma. That's perhaps why, why, why we see it as developed as such. Um, one, one extra uh, dimension I want to add uh, just briefly, and that is... That is, is that uh, I was, uh, I saw last, uh, at the Seder last year, somebody was at our Seder who had Rabbi Riskin's Agada, and he quoted the Lubavitcher Rebbe on this section, just a different idea on the Arababonim, and this is also just remarkable. So this I learned at the Seder last year, and he said, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, it's not perhaps the stages of, stages of one person in reversal, looking at the ultimate uh, um, pay, uh, the payout, which is the Chacham, it's really actually, it's really talking about generations of one, of one, of one family. So what, is, what does that mean? You get the person who comes off the boat from Europe, still speaking, the Mama, Mama Lashon, still involved in, in the ideas, still learning, going to chakras every morning, in, involved in the culture that was yesteryear. They arrive at a new country, and in, a, in an un... we we'll call it in an uninterrupted um, um, trajectory, the, what happens to their families, the next generation, they, they, they're, they're a little more interested in getting involved in society. They want to go to the Ivy League colleges, they want to sort of set up, a work, uh, set up their life for themselves. They, they, they leave their tefillin at their bar mitzvah, that's, that's good enough for them. Thank you very much, Dad. Their backwards parents who have this accent are not quite the people they're, they're interested in being involved with. That, 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 that next stage, the Russia is, is interested in, in, in advancing their career, advancing their lives. Um, Judaism can take a, a sta a sta take a stand in the back burner. And their, their child, the grandchild of this, of this, of this, um, of this marriage, by the way, we're speaking about more than 80% of American Jewry right now, um, their grand, the grandchild's at time is kind of like a little confused. You know, on the one hand, grandma lights these candles on Friday afternoons, but dad goes to work on, on, at 7.30 on, on Saturday. Like, how do I, the cognitive dissonance of putting those two pieces together. And the great-grandchild now, when already the, the grandmother's sort of in her in waning years, and now the great-grandchild uh, grows up, 
and and doesn't really know when they when, when they think about Judaism, they think so, think about bagels and locks. That's about it. And they they really don't even know. They don't even have the tools to ask questions about those candles which they missed and they, they're not seeing anymore. And it says the Rebbe Rebbe, the fifth one is the child doesn't even come to the seder anymore because there's no there's, they're not even at the seat. And it, what he says is that this these arabonim is essentially a genealogical pro- 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 progression from the Jews when they move into new countries, as has been seen, if we don't check it, if we don't interrupt it at some point in time. Very different way of looking at things, but also a very terrifying way of looking at things. Two, two very different ideas, the developmental stages in a human being in reverse, or the developmental stages in the trajectory of, of, the, of the Jews, and perhaps what we are fighting against. Where we are now, with partners in Torah, as an example, and all the Kirov organizations working at, we're, 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 we're between the Shani Adelish on the next generation. That's where we're at in terms of trying to make a difference, trying to reconnect people to their roots again. You know that just a few weeks ago, Harvard, um, Harvard a- accepted doing an apartheid week on campus. And there was at the, at the meeting, Ivar um, Chavrusa, who's, who's in Harvard Law School right now, and so he was, he was telling me that at the meeting, what happened was is that there was a, there was a Jew who raised her hand to say, we don't, you know, we, we should oppose this. And there was a person on the other side who says, I'm a Jew as well, it doesn't make a difference to me. And that's what passed the motion. Right? Where are we? Where are we? How far have we gone? Well, who, who are we supporting? What, what, right? Where are we in terms of those, those, those four stages? It's a terrifying question to ask and a responsibility when we read the Seder. This is the, that's, that's the, the Arba Bonim. Let's move on to the, perhaps the next idea. We have Pesach Matzah Maror. The Mishnah says, Rabban Gamliel, Aymer Kol Shalom HaShloshet Dvarim Elu BaPesach, Loyotso Yedei Chavosa, Ve'elu Hain Pesach Matzah Maror. You need to say these two things at the, at the table in order to fulfill your obligation. Fantastic, wonderful. What's the meaning of them? So it comes back to a basic question in Judaism, because the Judaism is not simply about Vortlach. It's about actually living, about, about appreciating Judaism in its, full, in its fullness, in its richness. Let's go, let, 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 let's start a basic question. Is a Jew obligated to believe anything? It's a basic question. We have lots of mitzvahs. We have 613 mitzvahs, but is there a belief system which is we're expected to have? The answer should be yes, right? I mean, we, we assume it is, but does the Torah ever tell us where, where, do, we, where do we look for, for a belief system? We'll call it principles of faith as opposed to just principles of doing, right? Eating the matzah, shaking the lulav, hearing the shofar. Where, where do I get beyond actions into belief systems? So one of the places we learn is, right, so, oh, so the, the question, the, the Rishonim debate that, exactly that point, is when it says, Hashem, I'm Hashem your God, what is the implications of that? Is that a mitzvah? Is that a belief? Is that a, cho- a choiva? There's a whole discussion. What's the first of the answers? Libros. Yeah, the Oh, very good. Very good. Excellent. So, the question is, do the, co- the codifiers, the missiles, do they count that as well? The missiles uh, independently? There's a whole discussion about this. But in general, belief as a whole, is there belief? And what, are, what is belief supposed to look like is a matter of great debate, especially around the early, um, about a thousand years ago, the terms of the early medieval commentators, the Rishonim. They, they, spent, they spent a long time dealing with this. And one of the sources that they, they, they go to is the following, is the Mishnah. And the Mishnah tells us in the beginning of Perek Chalik, this is the last Perek of Mesecha Sanhedrin in the Gemara, the Mishnah tells us, or Perek Yud in the Mishnayas, Kol Yisrael Yeshleim Chalem Kulam Lama Everybody and all Jews have a ticket into Olam Haba, Shenema, Rameh Kulam Tzadikim Lolem Yerushu Oretz, Neitzar Yomatai Yazmasa Yodali Espoer, which is a, the Mishnah we said before, Yilam Perek Avos as well. Ve'elo She'en Lahem Chalek Kulam These are people who do not have that ticket. Ha'emer Entchias Ameisim in a Torah, a person who denies the resurrection of the dead. A person who says there is no Torah from heaven, and a person that's actually based on a Greek philosopher, his name is Epicurus, and a person who denies the existence of God. Three people are, 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 are essentially um, taken off the train. Okay, so that's, uh, that's, what, that's what the Mishnah tells us, which leads the Rambam on this Mishnah. This is where the Rambam says that there are, in fact, 13 principles of faith. 
not just mitzvahs, not just uh, commandments, but there we actually have to we actually have to believe in thirteen different uh, different ideas, which are summarized in the Ani Mamins after our davening, and of course on a Friday night when we say Yigdal, the thirteen lines of Yigdal are correlating to each of those thirteen principles of faith, and we here together spent three summers learning those thirteen principles together. So we had uh, really had an opportunity of going through them in, in great depth. Now let's let, let's let's try to appreciate this for a second. The Rambam is, is, derives 13 principles of faith, but where does he get them from? Where did he suck those out of? So the answer is, as most of the most of them most of them Forsham explain, including his ardent critique and uh, and later colleague is the Sefer Akarim, Rav Yosef Alboy. He argues that really there should only be three principles of faith. The Rambam is expanding three ideas, and what are those three ideas? The the Alboy, Rav Yosef Alboy says they are number one, belief in God. Number two is belief in a system of Torah that he gave to us. And number three is Skar of Onish, that HaKadosh Baruch is a system of judgment. Those three are the basic principles of faith. Know those, you're in. Don't deny those, you're out. That's, uh, that's how it works. So now, how does that work to the Ramam's um, systems of faith, or, or we'll call it his, his 13 principles? So as most of the, the Mepharshim explain on the Rambam, the first five if essentially is... Uh, believing in that Hashem is, uh, is the creator of the world. Believing, uh, we, have it, we have it actually on the, on the, on the page over here. That is singular in this world. He's not made of corporeal reality. He's not a body. And believing that Rishon is his first and last. And believing that he is the only one we can turn to. Those first five axioms of faith are essentially an extrapolation of the belief that there is a God. And therefore, it means to say that there's no one before and there's no one after him. He's the only person we can turn to. Right, that's all. That's all we're called idea number one, which there is a God. He gives you five expressions of that in the first five principles. Then, from six to nine, which is, he believes, uh, that all the prophets are true. Moshe Rabbeinu is, the, is unique in the prophets. That the Torah is not going to ever change. And the Torah, uh, uh, sorry, the, 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 the Torah is, and uh, that, that, um, one second, I left out one over here. The Torah that we have today is the same Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu had. Is all what's called, those four are, six to nine, are Torah min HaShemayim. That God has a system of law. He gave it to us. All four of those principles are an idea that Hashem gave us the Torah from Shemayim. The last ones, which are from essentially 10, 11, 12, 13, which are that Hashem knows our actions and that He is going to pay us back for the good and the bad. And there's Mashiach is going to come, and there's Tchias Amesim are all about Din Vecheschar Vonish, Din Vecheshbon. Which means to say that everything of the Rambam can collapse into three ideas, which is what Rav Yosef Alboy says that there is a God, that He gave us a Torah, a system of, or a system of belief, and number three is that there is Schar Vonish, our actions matter, and He's going to be counting them, and He cares about them. It's not arbitrary. If you think about that, that's perhaps those three ideas in the Mishnah. The mission told us, who are the three people who have a ticket off the train, who are no, who are, who are no longer entered, um, welcome into Olam Abba? They are people who say, Ain't a person who denies the resurrection of the dead, which is the ultimate denial of the fact that there is actually going to be judgment for human beings. A person who says, Ain't a person who denies that, in fact, there is law from heaven. And number, and number, and number three is universal, is Epikores, a person who denies Hashem. Those are the three principles which take you off the train, those are the three principles which he expands to be the 13 principles of faith, and that's the basis of our belief system. Fascinating how the Rambam frames it in the positive as the Mishnah frames it in the negative. Just for food for, th uh, for thought, why that should be. But be it as it may, let's take it one step further. Rav Benjamin Blech, Zorzayin Gazunt, 
has a really fascinating insight, as he always does. He really is just one, he has a, he has a, 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 a Haggadah, and it's really worthwhile just buying Haggadah. It's essay after essay is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. So here's what he says. He says, if you think about, you know, our greatest ex- uh, expression of faith that we say is the word Amen. Right? We say Amen to very specific as- uh, times uh, in our lives. When we're, when we're affirming real ideas, real axioms of, uh, and principles in our, in our lives of Judaism. Well, that actually comprises of three words, which is Kel, Melech, Neman. He argues that each of those represents one of those fundamentals. Kel, there is a God, Melech, that he gives us a system of law that we have to abide, listen to him, and Neman, that he's, Neman, he's believed or he's faithful to pay, to, pay, to pay back to us. That's when we say Kel, Melech, Neman, or when we say Amen, we're essentially verifying the three basic principles of faith. But he takes it one step further. Let's come back to the Seder. He says, what are we do, doing the Seder? Rabbi Gamaliel says we need to have three things. What are those three things? Pesach, Matzah, Mar. Let's think about those for a second. Pesach. Pesach wasn't just simply the fact that, that, that we, we, you know, we took a lamb. We took their God. We slaughtered their God in their face. And in fact, we barbecued it. <laughs> Everybody could smell that there was the Jews were killing their God. Right? This was the greatest affirmation of moving away from their faith. There is a God. Number two, Matzos. You know, the word Matzos is very similar to another word, which is? Mitzvah, right? The Rabbi Simloy says, Mitzvah comes to you, and Rabbi Simloy says, if, if a mitzvah comes in your way, don't, don't, don't let it leaven. Mitzvah is like matzah, they're the commandments, an expression of an actual item. And finally, there is maror. That sometimes there's a bitter pill to swallow. There's many aspects of life, but we know that ne'eman, that even the bitterness parts, Still, there's still there's a bigger there's a bigger picture. There's 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 a bigger picture in life. Life here and now is not the end. It's not the be all and end all. What are we supposed to be doing? Why why is Rabbi Gamliel so excited about these three things? Because they represent the three aspects of faith where we saw them expressed in Exodus. That's why we're talking about them. Brilliant. All coming back to back back to that. It's about faith in the evening. It's not necessarily just about the intellectual ideas. Just a very very powerful idea Rabbi Blech has in his essays. Let's move on to two last ideas. Um, that is, is, um, is Safun. So, you know, this, this whole business, you know, of the, the of your comment, I don't know how everybody grew up over here. We grew up in our house where my father used to hide it, but in many houses the kids steal it. And I don't know, are we condoning that kind of activity? Is this the kind of, kind of children we want to, grow, to, to bring up? And like, how exactly does this work? So, um, there's, a, there's a beautiful Haggadah I, I, was, I, I received last year called the Haggadah Shemenat of Rav Bernard Weinberger, who's a... Uh, great Mara de Astra in, uh, in, uh, in Brooklyn, very fascinating individual, and he has many essays at the back of his Agada in, in Hebrew, very much, very much from the, um, from the, the camp of uh, um, perspective of Lomdus, of, of perspectives into the, the learning of the Seder. And he says a very interesting uh, perspective. He talks about um, why it is he wants to defend the minhag of, of, uh, of Tzafun. So he says, he points out, he says, well, let's just take it. We're looking on page, on page 8, source 7. It's to be found about five lines in by the period. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but <laughs> five lines in by the period, it says, Aval. Aval gamba pashtus, yesh levar de nikra tzafun mishum shiesh boze tam mechuse v'tzanua chutzmima shehuzecher al yetzias mitzrayim. You know what? The reason why it's called tzafun is because the idea, not just the matzah, but the idea itself is hidden as to what we're trying to achieve. Duhu gam simon. That it itself is a is a metaphor. That there's something hidden for the future redemption. It's a book in Nach, um, where where, uh, where uh, Hashem says, like the time I took you out of Egypt and I showed you Nifla'ois, I showed you wonders, I will do that in the future. And where are those wonders? Well, they're a little hidden. 
You're waiting to see them. Um, what does that mean? Duhu siman alagula shel shir chadash lavoi bimhera v'yamenu amen. And we're sort of waiting for that hidden moment where we're going to be able to see the future redemption. Hashem will now take away the veil and we'll be able to escape. V'im kein, if so, yesh lama damarin latzi'irim debemes toloi hagula hashlema bano. So what are we saying to the children? We're saying that the geula, you want to bring Mashiach now? It's not because we're just waiting for Hashem. It's dependent on us. Im nekayem Torah mitzvahs If we're going to listen, really listen, and our foremost personality is really listening to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yeagula bimheirav akol tolui banu. It's waiting for us. V'alachem ramzim natsirim diyesh biyodcha lignoives asidois aidei hisnagusa. What are you saying, children? You want to find the hidden guli. You want to find the time where we can all come together. The matzah is no longer broken. We're all celebrating together. Well, you know what? You have to steal it. You have to, you have to somehow or, or you have to orchestrate it. You have to find it. You are the ones in charge of your future. We are not living in a predestined reality. It's in flux. And that flux depends on our actions. And this is the greatest example, as we say to the children. Find it. Search it. Earn it. Change it. The red light is just simply a challenge. That we, we need to go, go, go further. We need, to, we need to bring that good That's what we're saying. And perhaps the most demonstrable example is Tzafun, is the hiding of the Afrikaman and the finding of the Afrikaman. But a remarkable idea. Finally, lastly, after all of this is said and done, nobody really is interested in hearing Vodlach and Mirza. Once I was, I the most wonderful, one of my most beautiful directors is about the Chargadja on the Seder. And nobody's interested at that point. <laughs> it's the most disappointing part of the Seder for me. I'd like to say one more. Even there's another tune I know when I was growing up. Nobody wants to hear the new tune. It's very difficult. Anyways, I guess I'm just, I'm just letting everybody in on this. You know? so, so, but at the same time, we should appreciate this. We should, this, this is a time to appreciate whether we have the chance to talk about it, but the time to appreciate it for ourselves. So Rav Rimon uh, br- uh, brings a very fascinating article or, or idea that is in the name of Rav Kook in, in his Siddur called Olas Riyah. Rav Kook has a, a two-volume Siddur called Olas Riyah, sometimes white, sometimes yellow, sometimes blue. And um, the second volume is where he has the Haggadah. Very, very beautiful idea. Sometimes they print the Haggadah separately eh? and he's perished on the Haggadah. And he, he makes the following notes. He says that if you look at all the stages of the Seder, they're all active. Kadesh, Orchatz, Karpas, Yarchatz, they're all talking about something we're doing. When you get to the word Nirza, Nirza is actually more of a passive description of what's happening. So take, let's take a look at Rav Rimon's point. He says, it would appear in the second paragraph, in 8, it would appear that this comes to teach us that we have undergone a significant process in the Seder night, an internal change. Now at the end of the Seder, we have attained such a high level of freedom and holiness that we are able to feel the holiness that surrounds us in a passive way without any real effort or action. The soul has become so holy and pure to the extent that it naturally accepts God. We're now in a passive state. We've put a lot of active effort into the Seder. We've invested, we've thought, we've discussed, we've argued, we've reminisced. And now at this point in time, we can sit back and let's experience it. That's what Nirza is. That's why it's more passive stage of the Seder. Now we're ready to sing to feel God's supervision of the world, to feel how God lights up the darkness of the night as though it was light of the day. That's the, uh, as Rav Nisim. To feel how God's hand is raised at the night of the festival. Um, to anoint Hashem as a king. To pray for the rebuilding of the temple. To feel that whatever happens in the world is carried out by Echad Echad And to know that in history, to add to this, that when there's always one Chad Gaja and that Akash Baruch is always looking after that Chad Gaja, that, that single lamb in history. You know, on a Friday night, I don't know about anybody else, but on a Friday night, it takes me, it takes me the whole Lachadoidi just to be able to debrief and get out of the week, to be able to get into Shabbos. 
Just so you know, I, I used to, sometimes I used to, between the paragraphs, I'd learn something, I'd have a safe rope and I'd read things. I can't do that anymore. I just need to have l'chadoidi, to be able to close my eyes and just focus on those words and to be able to extract everything else, all other cheshponas, all other calculations, all the worries, all the concerns of the week, just to be able to get into Shabbos. If there's no way to just absorb that moment, how do you enter Shabbos? And you know, it's, it's, there was a research. <laughs> there was a research which was done. Um, um, Dr. Abramson sent me, a, sent me an article last week where it shows that a, a, a brain which has 10 minutes of what we'll call just open meditation time a day, that even in, the, uh, that in terms of later on in the 50s and 60s, that brain has the same suppleness, the new, same openness of neuron pathways as a 20-year-old, which means to say that the, well, how do we keep the freshness is the ability to be able to meditate. To be able to, and I said, you know what's so funny is we have it built in the system. We have it built into the system. We have davening. But so many times we're worrying about so many other things during davening. We worry about how fast, how slow, what we're doing, the train. That There's so many things that we and real things to worry about. We forget that that's actually our inbuilt meditation into the day. So what happens over here is at the end of the Seder, we had four cups of wine. Everything's very mellow at this point in time. But let's, let's try to actually just sing it. Let's try to absorb it. Let's try to be there, says Rav Cook, because it's the outcome of everything we've done up till now, not to be raced through, but to be experienced. God willing, as we said at the beginning of Nirzah, Lashon HaHabab Yerushalayim, this should be that year, God willing, that we return to Yerushalayim.